Reading then from Luke chapter 4, um, verse 38 to 44. After leaving the synagogue that day, he went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he spoke to the fever, rebuking it, and immediately her temperature returned to normal, and she got up and prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down that evening, all of the villagers who had any sick people in their homes, no matter what their diseases were, brought them to Jesus, and the touch of his hands healed every one. Some were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Christ, he stopped them and told them to be silent. Early the next morning, he went out into the desert. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them, but to stay at Capernaum. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other places too, for that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Now, uh, I want to look at uh, a whole section of Luke's gospel this morning, uh, from chapter 4, verse 31, really, through to chapter 5 uh, and verse 32. Now, when, when a person shares a dramatic story of what God has done in their life, you will sometimes hear other people say, well, my testimony is really boring compared to that. Or, you know, mine's nowhere near as dramatic or interesting. Some, sometimes people might even feel a bit troubled about their own story and why theirs isn't like other people's. But that leads us to ask, doesn't it? You know, what does it look like when a person experiences God's salvation? Is it supposed to fit a very particular pattern? You know, salvation looks like this, then this, then this, for example. Is there a kind of formula that we can follow for how a person comes to faith? Is it predictable like that, a bit like a production line? Well, I'm sure you're thinking, you know, experiences, experience tells us that life is rarely that straightforward and people's journeys are often actually very, very complex and different. And interestingly, the Bible seems to recognize that too. Uh, if you read the four New Testament Gospels looking for a typical story of conversion, you'd actually struggle to find one that's typical because Jesus dealt with so many different people in so many different ways. And he spoke to them. He, his conversation could sound uh, very different from one person to another. What he did and said seemed to be so unique to each and every person because, of course, those people were each unique. But what we do see, of course, is a consistency in Jesus's character through them all. We do know what to expect from him when he meets people. We do know the kinds of things God does in people's lives because we know God's character through Jesus. And this is why in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 that we've looked at previously, Jesus was able to stand up and describe the work that God was doing through him in the world. 
Jesus said, didn't he? That as we thought last week, it's good news for the poor, it's freedom and forgiveness for captives, it's recovery of sight, it's a, a new life for those who are oppressed, and it's the welcome and acceptance of God. Jesus was able to say, you know, this is what I'm here to do. This is what God does when he sends me, his son, when he sends Jesus to transform things in the world, he says. And, uh, and Jesus said, remember, I've come to fulfill that. He calls it, in verse 43, he calls it the good news of the kingdom of God. Kingdom means rule. Uh, you know, in other words, this is what happens when God reigns. This is what happens when God's power takes effect over things, over people. There's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's sight, there's acceptance and good news. But what does that actually look like for you and for me? What does it look like for the many different people that we meet day by day? Well, thankfully, after telling us who Jesus is, the Gospel of Luke then gives us some examples of what his grace does in people's lives. So chapters four and five are actually full of stories about people and about what happened when these different people met Jesus. And they are all very, very different, all very unique. But at the same time, I want to show you this morning that Luke links them all together with certain recurring words or recurring patterns. So that we realize, actually, although they're all very different, although no one's story is quite the same, yet in another sense, all these stories come together because they're all part of God's grace, saving people through Jesus. And although the circumstances of our lives will differ from one another, the kingdom of God brings good news to each one of us in our own circumstances. It's like Jesus said there earlier on in verse 18, he will set us free. He forgives, he releases, he opens our eyes and make things, makes things new, proclaims God's favour to us all. And that can come to us in many different ways still today as we come into contact with God and with Jesus Christ and his reign in the world. Now, let me show you what I mean uh, from Luke's gospel here. So we might think, for example, that, that the two episodes in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 39, we might think they're unrelated. Uh, one tells us of a man set free from demon possession. The other tells us of a woman being healed from a fever. So those are two very different things. And perhaps we might feel we can relate to one but not the other. But actually what Luke does is he links those very different stories together by using the same word rebuke in both of them. So Jesus rebukes the demon, it says in verse 35, and then he rebukes the fever, same word, in verse 39. And what that means is, I think, Luke, Luke doesn't want us to think too narrowly about what it means for Jesus to set the captive free, like, like verse 18 said. What, what he meant by releasing the oppressed. He wants us to see, Luke, as he writes this gospel, he wants us to see that that can apply to different people in different ways. The freedom of a demon-possessed man here, but also the ending of suffering for an unwell woman. And, Jesus, and Luke uses the same word rebuke 
so that we'll put them together. Or here's another example. So in chapter 4, verse 33, Luke says that the man has an unclean spirit. Now that broadens out what we mean perhaps by demon possession. This man, in some sense, has a spirit of uncleanness in his life, something that seems to defile or spoil the goodness of his life. And in verse 35, when Jesus speaks, this man falls down to the ground. And in the Greek, it's the word ripto, to fall. But I want you to then notice later on, if you look at chapter 5, verse 8, someone else falls to the ground because he too says he feels unclean. But this time it's Peter. And it's Peter becoming suddenly aware of his own sinfulness in the face of a miracle that Jesus has performed. And Peter as well falls to the floor. And then notice it happens again in chapter 5, verse 12. But this time it's a different thing again. It's a man with leprosy who falls at Jesus's feet and he asks to be made clean. And Jesus says, be clean. And he heals him. So there are three very different stories there. But they're all linked together by a sense of uncleanness being healed. And again, I think Luke wants us to see that, you know, feeling a sense of uncleanness, of, of being unacceptable and of being cast down, perhaps being poor, like verse 18 said. Now, that might come to different people in very different ways. Some may feel it because of a spirit within them, like the first guy, or others like Peter because of sin. Or others, perhaps because they've got a disease that brings an awful lot of social stigma to their life, like the leper. But again, what we find here is that the news of Jesus brings uh, uh, acceptance, forgiveness, cleansing uh, to each and every one of them in their own way. So the man in chapter four is unharmed. Peter is told, don't be afraid. And the leper is made well. They're all different, but they all find hope in Jesus Christ. Another example. Uh, so in chapter 4, verse 38, Luke says that Simon's mother-in-law was seized by a fever. And that's how Luke puts it in the Greek. It's from the Greek word echo, which means to take hold of something or seize it. So a fever had taken hold of her. It had captured her, seized her. But notice later on in chapter 5, verse 9, it says Peter and his companions were also seized. Again, the word echo in Greek. But this time, they're seized by a kind of fear at what they'd seen Jesus do. So again, Luke remembers the words perhaps that Jesus quoted in the synagogue about captives being set free. And now he shows us that being held captive, you know, being seized and taken hold of by something, that can come in various different forms. But again, it's Jesus who can set us free. And just one more example. In chapter 4, verse 39, and chapter 5, verse 25, and again in chapter 5, verse 28, Luke tells us of someone getting up after Jesus had spoken to them. So in chapter four, the woman got up after Jesus healed her fever. In chapter five, verse 25, a paralyzed man got up after Jesus had made him well. 
And then in chapter 5, verse 28, Levi, the tax collector, and they were known to be corrupt for, in their ways. But Levi now gets up from his tax collecting booth. In other words, he's decided he's, he's not going to be that person anymore. He's going to leave that life behind and follow Jesus. But Luke says he gets up. So again, by repeating that same word in three very different situations, Luke ties them together so that we'll, you know, we won't think, well, Jesus only does one type of thing in one way. Perhaps also so that we don't think that none of these stories apply to us or that none of them are really relevant because I'm not in exactly the same situation. I think Luke is trying to show us here that, you know, the things Jesus spoke of in the synagogue, lifting us out of poverty, healing us, restoring us, rescuing us. Jesus can do that for you in, a di in different ways, depending on your different circumstances. But always it's Jesus who is able to save us. And that's important. In each and every one of these people's lives in Luke's gospel, it was the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and indeed the words of Jesus that brought them salvation. And for us too, as we ourselves meet with the reality and the power and the grace of God in Jesus, that is what changes things for us. Through him, we all can get up and begin again. Now also, I want us to think outward because we will meet people who are all different. Like here in Luke, we'll find some people we meet are wealthy, some are poor, some are unwell, some are perfectly healthy. Some are struggling on the outside with things. Others are struggling on the inside, just like here in Luke 4 and 5. Some are, will be near death. Some of them will be far from death. Some will be looking for Jesus already. Others might not be. Others may be suffering so much that they don't even know how to ask for help. We find all those types of people here in Luke 4 and 5. So one person is seized by an illness here. Another is seized by sin. But the vocabulary that, that describes their salvation is repeated by Luke. Although their circumstances were different, Jesus brought something to each of them. Something similar happened when each and every one of them met with Jesus Christ. They all experienced in their own way the release the healing, the forgiveness, the new beginning that Jesus brings. And I want us to remember that God is still doing this now. Again and again, Luke says the people were amazed at the authority of Jesus's words. Throughout the Bible, the words of God do things. When God speaks, things happen. New things come to exist. And here is Jesus in Luke's gospel. The kingdom of God, he says, is here, and he's speaking, and new things, new circumstances, new stories are being written in very different ways for different people's lives, but it's Jesus doing it in all of them, and he's still doing it in people's lives today. Many of you here could tell your own story of what Christ has done for you, and actually, do you know what? None of those stories are boring. None of them are ordinary because each of them is real, and each of them has shaped you profoundly in who you are. So the good news of Jesus is still 
able to transform things within each unique life of every single person here and of every single person that you and I will meet in our lives. And that's what the good news of the kingdom of God is about that Jesus mentioned in verse 43. This is what happens when God reigns, when his rule is at work in our lives, in the world, when his kingdom is here and happening now. It's about God's rule as king transforming us as we bring ourselves and our world to Jesus in faith, believing that he can change things, believing that he can speak new things into reality for us too. So we will meet many, many people. And Luke wants us to know that the good news of Jesus Christ is for every one of them. And it can turn things around in their lives, even though their lives look very different from ours or from each other's. The goodness and grace and gospel of Jesus can do great things, whoever you're talking to, whoever you meet, whoever you know. It can remake us, even remake, I think, communities as it begins to shape people and change things through Jesus Christ. People are wonderful, aren't they? They can also be pretty awful sometimes, let's be honest, like ourselves, because people are complex. But above all, people are very precious. People will be suffering. Some people will feel lost. There'll be people carrying guilt and pain and fear. People's stories are full of both joy and tragedy. But Jesus came to save us all from within the uniqueness of our own lives. He came to bring us into his salvation. Everyone's story is unique, but every person is known to God. And the good news of his kingdom is this, that God is moving through the world, driving out fear and evil and sin and suffering and shame. And he's doing it through the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. There's another way of looking at these verses, just, just to finish. You know, if we stood back from them and sort of view things from above, what Luke gives us over the whole of these chapters is, is a picture of Jesus sort of, he's sort of moving through the world from place to place. And everywhere he goes, he drives out evil and sin. He drives out uncleanness. Uh, and poverty. He drives out suffering and fear and guilt and pain. Wherever he goes, all those negative things are just being pushed away in his wake. So all the kinds of things as we go in about our daily lives, all the things that diminish life, that cause harm, the, the things that threaten our connection to each other and to the world around us, the things that threaten our connection to God, even perhaps to ourselves and understanding who we are, well, Jesus comes to drive out those things that take away the life that God intends for us. As the quote from Isaiah in verse 18 said, anything that impoverishes us or enslaves us or takes us into darkness or drives us apart or makes us feel adrift, even forsaken by God, Jesus is here to drive those things away and bring us back to God and to what he is saying to us and to what he can do for us. 
So as Jesus moves through the world in these chapters, these are some of the things he says to people. Let them go free. Be healed. Don't be afraid. I am willing. Be clean. Get up and walk again. Follow me. Those are the kinds of things we hear Jesus saying as he goes through the world. And as he speaks those words, the suffering and sin, the fear and the evil, the hopelessness and pain is being driven out before him as he, he banishes suffering and captivity and injustice and guilt and fear and pain and hopelessness. If we kept reading through the Gospel of Luke, it will continue his movement through the world all the way up to the cross and the tomb where Jesus died for us. Ultimately, Jesus would meet all those things in our lives. He would meet them there on the cross as he took all our sin and all our sorrow and darkness and pain, all our God-forsakenness, and he took them and he carried them for us in his own death. Even death itself he faced head on for us. But even there he triumphed. Death itself was kind of driven away because Jesus rose from the dead. Romans 8 says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And I want you to know that he has the same power to do that in your life today. In your unique life, with your unique story and circumstances, the same power of Jesus can bring you into a new place as you come to him. It is a gospel we're encouraged to believe in, we're told. Again and again, believe in Jesus. Believe this good news. In other words, just know that Jesus can do this for you and trust him to do it. Get up like Levi did from his tax collecting booth. Get up and follow Jesus, and he will take you where he knows you need to go. And so that should also shape our ministry as a church. We believe in God's kingdom, don't we? So as we share the good news today, we believe the same kinds of things that we read about in the Gospels are happening through the Gospel in the world today. It, the Gospel drives out injustice and pain and evil and captivity. It drives out fear and drives out shame. It drives out suffering. It drives out sin in people's lives. Isaiah said it would many, many years before. Jesus confirmed when he stood up in that synagogue and he spoke those same words and he said, I've come to fulfill all of them. And then he went and did it. And he does it still today by speaking something new, telling us his good news sending us out to share it and live it. And even death itself gives way and Jesus brings new life. Amen. Amen.